The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Our church was spared the uh, the storms of the other night, but uh, we know many have been affected by the storms, especially on the Kansas side. So uh, just continue to pray. I know uh, Brother Doug and Disaster Relief and other areas were helping up in Excelsior and kind of towards that way. Uh, you just pray. There's a lot of gospel opportunities in the coming days around the city as we deal with the storms that continue to happen. If you're watching with us on Facebook this morning, we especially welcome you as we're looking at today your hardest life now. Uh, I know you came just because of the sermon title, amen? Uh, your hardest life now, Mark 13, 9 through 13. Well, we're a couple weeks removed from Mother's Day, but I think it was apropos for this morning. Uh, some lessons I wrote down that my mama taught me, maybe you can uh, remember these. My mom taught me to appreciate a job well done, and she'd say it this way, quote, if you're going to kill each other, do it outside, I just finished cleaning, Right? My mother taught me religion, and Baptist from before I was in, uh, uh, in the womb, that is, but she said often, you better pray that that will come out of the carpet. I heard that out of her mouth before. My mother taught me about time travel. If you don't straighten up, Darren, I'm going to knock you out into the middle of next week, right? <laughs> My mother taught me logic, and we're in this stage with our family. Because I said so, that's why. Stop asking, Right? My mother taught me irony. Keep crying and I'll give you something to cry about. It's more my dad, but my mom would extend that thought. My mother taught me about the science of osmosis. Close your mouth and eat your supper. Now, some of you are saying, what is osmosis? Look it up later, all right? <laughs> my mother taught me about medical advice. If you don't stop crossing your eyes, they're going to get stuck that way. My mother taught me about humor. I remember when I was doing the lawnmower, uh, something to this effect, when that lawnmower cuts off your toes, don't come running to me, right? <laughs> And my mother taught me about roots. Shut that door behind you. Do you think you were born in a barn, Darren? Come on now. And one last one. My mother taught me about justice. One day you'll have kids, and I hope they turn out just like you. Uh, <laughs> and especially mama told me there'd be days like that, didn't she? There'll be days like that, my mama said. Some of y'all are going to bust out in song just hearing that alone. Friends, our mamas, the good ones and the ones we had a hard time forgiving, taught us life lessons, didn't she? If, even if you didn't have a mom or foster or whatever, they taught us these things, and especially that life is hard. We know that. Our moms taught us that because we lived and saw them through that, our families through that. And the more you love, the more painful it gets because you get to know people and meet people where they are. And the scripture's clear on this too, in fact, that life is hard, but God is good. Life is hard. Sin is terrible and miserable, but God is love. Christ is coming. The Holy Spirit is powerful, and heaven is our home. And in that same vein of thought, Jesus is kind of kind of do one of those my mama said moments. He's going to remind us that your hardest life is now. That's where we're headed this morning. The things that uh, uh, Brother Nelson, wherever Nelson is right there, Pastor Nelson, Brother, Major Chaplain, Reverend, whatever you are, five different titles, uh, was reading in the office this morning. He said, why are we reading the scripture? And then we get into the fact that we're going as mothers and brothers and turning them over. Your hardest life is now, and Jesus is going to promise you that. But remember Deuteronomy 33, 27, it says, the eternal God is your refuge, and the underneath are his everlasting 
arms. Look, we could take a whole day and talk through the Bible about what it says is hard. The life is hard. You don't even need a Bible for that. Just live life, right? It's hard. It's difficult, even on summer days where it's more carefree, perhaps, in the culture. But the Christian life is not just hard. Let's be frank. It's impossible. Apart from God's grace, you cannot live the Christian life. And it's hard to admit that because we're so into ourselves and what we can do even as we get older. But when life is hard and when things make no sense, do you give way to doubt? Or do you remind yourself that God, even though your life is hardest now, is ever present with you in your times of trouble? Friend, I want to remind you this morning of the big idea. The big idea is just our summary of the sermon, uh, is that Christ is coming. Be ready. It's going to get difficult, but we're not home yet. Keep your heart clean. And I put this in there because I was thinking about it when we were brushing our teeth with our kids. Keep your teeth brushed, all right? Some of you, do, some of you are thinking, did I actually brush my teeth this morning? What does that mean? It means be ready. He's coming. Your hardest life is now, but Christ is coming. And mama, if you had a Christian mama, probably told you that as well. He's coming. And in the midst of all the difficulties, we long for the return of Christ, the, the end of oppression and lies and pains and the explosion of God's freedom that it brings. And, and, but I want to remind you, too, as we look at this passage this morning, as Jesus continues talking about his return, that blessed holy living starts now to go there. So often people say, I want to go to heaven. But if you were to ask him why they want to go to heaven, it's not because Jesus is there. It's because they want to get rid of all their problems. Friends, Jesus is the motivation that we go to for heaven. We don't go to heaven just for heaven's sake. We go to heaven because Jesus said he's there. He's going to prepare a place for us. And so this morning, this is kind of an odd sermon in the, in the organization, but because Christ is in charge, because he's coming again, I want you to see two commands, two concerns, and two conclusions. And then they're going to tell us what we need to do. Jesus is going to tell us how we're to handle these things because he is coming, even though this is our hardest life now. And by the way, if you're wondering, yes, I did steal the title of the sermon off a popular book 10 years ago from a prosperity preacher who said, your best life is now. Friends, your best life isn't now. It's coming if you know Jesus Christ. Your best life is wherever you are with Jesus Christ. That's your best life. Amen? And that's what we know. Let me remind you this morning that Jesus is on the Tuesday night of the last week of his life. He's left the temple. He's crossed the Kidron Valley. He's sitting opposite of the temple, high up on the Mount of Olives. And the Mount of Olives is where he will return someday, Revelation 19. It's where he's going to ascend up to heaven in Acts chapter 1. And it's also where he'll be betrayed in just a few days in the narrative. And he is in total control. Everything that's happening is part of his plan. And now it's coming to be. And we call this, the, the, the big term is the Olivet Discourse, but this is where Jesus goes to explain the end times and what's going to happen. So, do we have a date yet for Jesus' return? No, but we have a promise that he is coming back and he's coming quickly. Keep your teeth brushed. Will you join me in standing, if you're able, this morning for God's word as we read just four short verses, Mark 13, 9 through 13. Two commands, two concerns, two conclusions and how we're to react through this, what he says. This is a loaded passage, but hear it clearly. Hear God's word this morning. Verse 9, But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And verse 10, The gospel must first be proclaimed to all the nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, don't be anxious beforehand what you are to say, 
But say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And verse 12, the brother will deliver brother over to death, his father, his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. And here's the silver lining, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Friends, this is your worst life now. This is your hardest life now. The great news is it doesn't end right here. It ends when Jesus says it ends, and if you know Christ, you're with him forever, and that's the best place you can be ever and ever and ever. Let's pray this morning as we look at this passage. Father, thank you so much. Lord, it is so easy to get wrapped up in this world. Father, we have to live in this world. We have to work at this world. We retire in this world. We raise kids in this world. We do recreation in this world. We buy things in this world. We brush shoulders with other people in this world. But, Father, this truly is not our home. This is the hardest life we will face. But as the old Puritans would say, Father, this is the worst hell we will get because if we know Christ, we will never see anything worse than this. It only gets better. So, Father, thank you for that. I pray for all those in the sound of my voice, whether audibly in a sanctuary or digitally somewhere else, that, Father, those who hear this without Jesus would come to know Jesus, that, Father, they would be among those who can say they endured to the end, not by their strength but or their might, but by your spirit, saith the Lord. Father, let us do this for your glory. Thank you so much. We love you, Lord. Thank you that we have the privilege of knowing you through your son, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name, Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. Guys, you may be seated. Thank you so much. So as you, uh, as you look at this, usually we're going almost verse by verse, and, and this time around, we're actually going to be jumping around because this passage is built around two commands of Scripture, two actual commands. And the first of those commands is Jesus' command in verse 9, and, and this will be on the screen as to be cautious. Verse 9, be cautious. And you see that in verse 9 as he tells us he's returning. He tells them to be on guard. Your Bible, if you have a King James or another version, may say take heed or, or beware. But in verse 9, he tells us to be on guard. And this is the dominant note. And I'll just read these quickly. You, don't have to, you can look at them. Verse 5 says that see no one leads you astray. Verse 23, he says take heed. Verse 33, he says take heed. Verse 35 of chapter 13, he says be on the alert. And verse 37, he says be on the alert. Jesus is telling us what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be ready, ready for his return, ready for false teaching, ready for your hardest life now. And only someone who's not alert would just let this go over their heads. But the primary application he's giving here is that six times we're told to be spiritually alert. And while doing so, we need to be ready. That word, that phrase, be on guard, is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's you got to do this. It's not, hey, honey, if you happen to be at the store and want to pick up an extra gallon of milk, great. But if not, I'll take care of it. This is, honey, you're going to the store whether you like it or not, whether it's tornadoing outside or not, and you're getting that milk. Do you understand? This is what Jesus is telling you. Be on guard. We see, but we don't get the whole thing or the importance. And friends, this is the first command, be on guard. And he tells us to be cautious. And you'll see this on the screen. I've shared this in recent weeks. I want to repeat it. Don't trust your heart, your head, your friends, your science, or your traditions more than you trust what Jesus has told you to do in the very word of God that we hold here today. Because it's so easy to do those things, especially in the times he talks about. 
Don't advise God. Don't threaten God. Trust Him. He tells you what to do. All you got to do is follow it. That's why it's so easy to be a preacher. Did you know that? We only work one hour a week, right? And we just do it. We just read the script. It's like being a TV person. You just read what they tell you, and you're going to be all right. Well, Christian, the same is true for you. The same is true. Jesus is calling us to take heed and be on guard because danger is coming. Your hardest life now is coming. Be ready. And don't let these fulfillments that he's going to tell you, don't let these signs we're going to read and get into take you off guard, but let them be for you a warning and have your spiritual antenna up. Have it on 20G, not 4G. Have it, have it ready. Don't let someone cut the cord. Keep it in tune. You need to be ready, and how you respond is going to define your spiritual life. That's why we can't be asleep when Christ returns. Well, Darren, when's he going to return? I'll be ready. I don't know, so be ready. You can't be preoccupied with things of this world, even though you live in this world. Have your spiritual eyes open. And if Jesus said this some 2,000 years ago, how much more should we be ready today? So that's the first command is, is, is be cautious. Be cautious of who and what and where you trust. Now, should you be a trusting person? Yes, friend, please hear me. Is it okay to study science? Yes. Our sound person does science all day. It's fine. But make your ultimate trust the one who created such things and who gave us such things. Second command, I'll invite your attention to verse 11, is Jesus says to be confident. He tells us first, you're going to be cautious, be on guard, but verse 11 also tells you the activity of the Spirit. Look down at verse 11, the second command. He says, and when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, notice it doesn't say if they do, it says when they do, don't be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit who speaks. All right, we're Baptists. All right, let's be honest. The Holy Spirit scares some of us, doesn't it? it he does. The Holy Spirit, who is that guy? That's, that's, for those, that's for those guys who dance in the aisles and do all that. So they got the Spirit, right? Guys, if you're a Christian, you have just as much of the Spirit as any other person who's been saved by Jesus Christ. And guess what? The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives within you and lives within our church. That's not something to be scared of. That's something to celebrate, amen? Zechariah 4, 6, and I quoted this in the prayer a minute ago, but not by my might or my power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Look, the command of Christ is to go and share the gospel, to, to be on guard, and we can't do that unless we're living in the power of the Holy Spirit. And again, notice it says there, when they arrest you. It doesn't say if, when. Guys, someday. Being a Christian is going to be much harder than it ever has. They're going to hand you over. They're going to throw you in jail. They're going to throw you before the courts. They're going to do whatever you can. But here's the second command. Be confident. Did you see what he said? Yeah, this is coming, but look back at verse 11. It says, do not worry beforehand what you are going to say. My niece just did her graduation speech a couple weeks ago. She was valedictorian in our small town uh, north of here, and uh, she is one of those ones. She gets it from my mom and her dad. They don't like talking in public. I didn't either. I was, it's amazing to be a preacher because that never would have crossed my mind. And she practiced for about a month, and she talked like this. You couldn't hear a word she said. But she got up there confidently and read it. She read what she had to read, and she got off there as quick as she got on there. But it happened. Look, 
Don't worry beforehand what you will say. You don't have to have this memorized. When you are put on the witness stand of whether you're a Christian, whether this is who you are, don't worry about it. God will give you the grace that you need. Should we be here? You might say, well, give me an attorney. Look, Jesus doesn't say hire an attorney. He says, trust the spirit that is within you. He says there's a greater lawyer, and he will be inside of you and give the words to you to say supernaturally. Some of you have been in those situations before. You've been talking with people about Christ or God-centered things, and you have no idea what in the world you're going to say. But you get in there, and it's just like the words fall out of your mouth. You're not a puppet. You're not some uh, Pinocchio on a string. But somehow, supernaturally, God, through his Holy Spirit, using you as the mouthpiece, does this for you. Be confident. God gives you the grace you need at the moment you need it as we need it. I love to prepare things, don't you? Any type A people in here? Anyone, you have to have all your ducks in a row or your life is a ca- utter chaos, right? Guys, Jesus says you don't have to plan on this. He says be confident that God gives the grace we need at the moment you need it. It's not you who speak, it's the Spirit speaking for you. And as the toughness increases, so does the witness. The primary speaker is the Holy Spirit. You are just the mouthpiece doing this. Or if you want to do the big, you know, Florida Gator stomp crunch thing, you could do that too. You're just the mouthpiece. And he says, do this. He's feeding us the lines. It's very similar to Moses, isn't it? Moses went up to God and said, God, who am I to go and speak for you? And God said, I don't care, but I'm going to give you what to say. Just be faithful. Jeremiah was told, I'll quote, put my word in your mouth and give you what to say to the rulers of the day. And so, too, when the last days are upon us, when we're thrown in jail, put before courts, before our face, God will give us what to say. Be confident of that. And he tells you not to worry beforehand. Trust him. That's what he says. Greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. Well, Darren, what happens if I get in there and I don't know what to say? God will give you the words. Well, that sounds so spiritual. Yeah, it is. I don't know how to parse that out. Should we stop studying our Bibles and just fly by the seat of our pants? I don't think that's what he's saying here. But what he is saying is when you go before people on account of Christ, you will trust that Christ is enough. He's always with us even till the end of the age and gives us the words to say. All right, those are the two commands. You got them? Be confident and be cautious. Be on guard and don't worry about what you'll say. Those are the commands the passage flows around. But now I want to give you two concerns. We've already read them, but I want you to hear two concerns. Go back up to verse 9, second part of verse 9. I want you to see this. So, so he tells us to watch out. He tells us not to worry. Well, what are we worrying about, Jesus? Well, let's start off with the animosity here of the world. Verse 9, he tells you that what is coming. Verse 9 says, For they, who's they? The non-Christians will deliver you over to councils. You'll be beaten in synagogues. You'll stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness for them. The four, it tells you why we should be on guard, doesn't it? It tells you why be on guard, because this is coming. And he's going to deliver you over to courts. What's this mean? It means that you literally are going to be handed over to government officials. What kind of government officials? A one-world government? I, guys, he doesn't say. He just says this is what's going to happen. That's what we know. It's coming. Deliver you, arrested by the police or by the soldiers, handed over to them, and will be used ten times later for how Jesus is going to be handed over, how Jesus is going to be arrested, how Jesus is going to be put to death. That same phrase is going to be used 
through Mark to describe how our Savior goes through these things, his hardest life now. But it'll become a capital crime to become a Christian. Oh, that's really going to increase church attendance, isn't it? If we even have churches to go to, I don't know. But friends, I think what Jesus is telling us is we have to remember here that we have to be clear. We have to know on whose side we have. And Amy will put that, at least that be clear up. You have to know. You have to be clear. Why? Look, I, I, I don't want religious freedoms to be removed. I don't want, um, you know, a Christian to die in the last days. I don't want you to suffer. Hopefully you don't want me to suffer. That would be kind of uh, morbid if you did. That's weird. But I want us to be ready, as Jesus said. In the world, there will be a tolerance of things, of everything but Christianity. And you say, whoa, 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 wait, Darren, that sounds like America today. Guys, not really. We have freedoms here that most countries would die for, literally, won't they? Don't they? Try to. We're not there yet, but we're getting there. And the courts are courts of laws. And you'll be flogged in the synagogues. Well, we're not Jews, so what does this mean? You're going to be beaten. When there's an anti-Christian bias that leads to your arrest, your whipping, and your intimidation, it's probably, uh, it says they'll stand before governors and kings. Well, there's not enough governors and kings for every Christian to stand before. So we're probably talking of the leaders of the churches here. And he says, why? He tells you, why is this all going to happen? Did you notice that? For whose sake? For my sake. Look back at verse 9. You will do this. If you're an underliner, underline that. Governors and kings, underline for my sake. This is happening your hardest life now for the glory of Christ. You are suffering for Christ. And Amy will put this up there, but if the world hates us, may it be not because we are jerks, but may it be because we follow Jesus Christ. And that is a difference. Because sometimes we who bear the name of Christ, preach Christ, and exclusively believe in Christ, we act as though we have no grace of Christ. You know, we always want to be ready to give an answer, 1 Peter 3.15, for the hope that's in us, but we forget that first part. Do it with gentleness and respect. And I can tell you, and uh, we have a couple brothers on here who are on Twitter in recent days, the, 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 the anger of Christians one to another, just devouring each other over side issues uh, in, in churches and on public Twitter things, when the, when the world is going to hell in a handbasket, Christians are doing this with each other. Stop it. Love each other. But we need to know this, as we love each other and we are clear of whose side we're on, real hatred is going, coming towards Christ. You will become public enemy number one. I want you to know that you here is y'all. It's you ins it's, it's plural here. It's not just you individually. It's the church, all Christians because Jesus is a rock of offense. He's a stumbling block. He is the one who messes it all up, it doesn't he, for the world. But for us, we know it's true, because he tells you why. Did you see the last part of that? Why are you suffering for him? Look at the last part of verse 9. He tells you very clearly. He says, be clear, because, verse 9, you are going to bear witness for my sake. You're going to stand before these people, and you're going to stand... You're going to stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye children of... Yeah, that's as far as I go, guys. <laughs> it's as far as I'm going this morning. Uh, yes, that's right. That's right. I'll, I'll leave that one next week. Thank you. But you are standing up for Jesus. You are standing up for your, the gospel. You're standing up for your Lord. Be clear of where you are. Let me be very clear to them. This is God's testimony to them. 
God is always about getting our testimony to the world. It's number one on God's agenda list to get the gospel to the nations. That's why we send people out to random parts of the world to share the gospel and get malaria and eaten by mosquitoes and weird things that crawl in the night. But this is a reminder to you individually, Christian, that God allows you to be sick, for instance, so that you can testify to nurses and doctors in the hospital. He allows you to get robbed so you can talk to law enforcement and say, yeah, I'd really like to right this wrong that happened to me, but ultimately it, it may not be settled this side of heaven. It's going to happen in eternity. This is why God may allow you to be persecuted so you can give a testimony to the world that you love Jesus and that he's the only truth and you're on his side. Be clear about that. The best way to protect the gospel is to be clear of the gospel. But at the time of the end, this persecution will become full and extreme. And it's only getting worse. So that's the first concern, is be clear. The second concern, go down to verse 12, is we need to be courageous. Be courageous. He told us to watch out, to be cautious. He told us to be confident, not to worry beforehand. He told us that persecution is coming, be clear. And now he tells us, verse 12, to be courageous. Notice this. And this, you know, it, it, we often skip over this, but let's read verse 12 again. Look at your scripture, your tablet, your smartphone, your brain, whatever you got. Put it out there. Verse 12. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his children, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. Guys, this is not a, a horror movie. This is going to be hashtag real life. Hashtag is coming if it is not already happening. The gospel will be so provocative in the world but it comes home in life's closest relationships in the family, and it will only get worse in the last days. And you notice he starts a little outward. He says, brother will betray brother. Well, that's been happening since Cain and Abel. All right, Jesus, that's not a big deal, right? Well, he says the unsaved brother will give the Christian brother to death. I don't know how this will work, what day and age it will be, but whatever you contact the authorities, they'll, they'll text, they'll dial on a smartphone, they'll do whatever they do, say, hey, my brother's a Christian, I know where he's at. Come get him. They will be the informants to tell the leaders how to find their public enemy, number one, Christians. Second, and this, the, it just gets deeper in its intensity. Second, he says a father will turn over his child? Spare the thought. Guys, may we not be surprised at this. In the last 46 years, whatever it's been, we have aborted over 55 million babies in this country alone, let alone around the world. These words should not shock us anymore than the pictures of an aborted baby should shock us today. You pray. Unsaved father will betray his born-again child, whether it's, we don't know his son or daughter, it's just general. He'll turn them over to capital punishment. Did you notice that it'll lead to death? And perhaps, and Jesus just makes this even more shocking. Did you see what this said? The last part, children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. Unsaved kids to saved parents. We don't know ages. It, let's be honest. Could it be an 8-year-old calling to inform on their 42-year-old mom or dad? Maybe. Who knows? He doesn't tell us ages. But what comes from the lips of our Lord and speaks to the gathering storm of the last day, it's a contrast between the light and the dark. Kids don't do the killing. They just turn them over to the officials to do the killing. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 34, Don't think I've come to bring peace, but a sword. I came to set a man against his father, a family against family. Men's enemies will be members of his own household. This is why, Christian, as a church, y'all, 
And as individuals, we need to be courageous. Amy will put this up, but loyalty to Christ must be greater to any loyalty to this world. Today, in the midst of all of our love for family and friends and our desire for peace, our desire to be respected, we need to keep reminding ourselves that we have no friend like our friend, Jesus Christ. Now again, let's be very clear here, because if someone takes those words, they can go off in the deep end and go all David Koresh, uh, uh, Jones, uh, 1979 Jones thing. Look, let's note to self, no human being can ever fulfill what Jesus can do for me, right? Husband, your wife cannot fulfill the love Christ has for you. Husband, you can't do that for your wife. Mom and dad, you can't be that for your kids. What Jesus is reminding us here is to be courageous because our greatest family is our spiritual family. Your family here in this church have greater ties to you than the family that you have physically around you. Now, they may not be your blood necessarily, but they've been bought with a greater blood, haven't they? Friends, we need to be close to our physical families, especially if you have non-saved, unchristian, non-believing family members, you need to be a witness to them. You don't just throw them out the pasture and say, holy huddle, I'm going to spend all day in the church. That's not the point here. The point is, is that we need to be reminded that when the worst gets worse, your hardest life now is coming, the people that are going to be closest to you are those that are closest to Jesus. Does that make sense? And that's what he's saying. The most courageous and costly thing we will ever do is to seek and love others as Jesus loves us. And that will especially be tested in those last days. All right, let's close with these two. So we've been told to be watchful, to be cautious. We've been told to be confident. Don't worry beforehand what you're going to say. We've been told that it's coming. We're going to be thrown before public officials. We need to be clear about the gospel. And then even amongst family, we need to be courageous because they will hand us over. But now I want to give you two conclusions. Look back at verse 10. Uh, go at, back up to verse 10. First conclusion I want you to see is Jesus tells us to be constant, constant. He says in verse 10, he says, And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all the nations. Oh, I love this. The gospel must be first be proclaimed to all the nations. We are told very clearly to be constant, the advance of the gospel. Persecution has always been the way the gospel has spread. The gospel has rarely spread the way it has spread in authentic ways when the church has been at rest. Now, I thank God for our protection here in the United States, amen? But do you know that America is quickly becoming, and I think could be argued, uh, Pastor Nelson has served overseas, and he could uh, testify to this, that the church in America needs missionaries sent to it more than we need to send missionaries out. Scary, isn't it? Do you know the largest sending country in the world with missionaries is South Korea. God bless those Presbyterians because they are sending out missionaries like it is just going out of style. And they're coming to the United States because we here have heard the gospel so much we think we know it. You know, the gospel that's popular in culture, pray this prayer, walk an aisle, you're saved, you never have to live for Jesus, you got your hell uh, free, you know, you got your get out of hell free card and shot, you're good. That's the gospel of America, and we export that to people where people are, are importing us the biblical gospel. Repent and believe. Jesus is risen from the dead. There's a heaven and a hell. You need to be ready for that. And what Jesus is saying is that this gospel must be preached. The biblical gospel must be preached, but it's going to come at persecution time. You know, you look back at Acts, and you know when that church grew? 
that church grew when persecution came on it. And you notice there, he says, and the gospel must first be preached. Guys, he must first be preached. Why? Because the gospel is where people will be saved. People are not saved by programs. People are not saved by people. People are saved by hearing the gospel. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, word of Christ. Matthew 24, 14, the gospel shall be preached in the whole world for a witness to the nations. Jesus said, then the end will come. So be constant. Keep sharing the good news. Keep sharing the good news. We have not yet exhausted the number of God's elect. Wouldn't it be crazy that, you know, you remember that, you know, some of you remember that young man, it's kind of passed away now, but the young man who went off to the uh, islands just off the coast of Sri Lanka back in, uh, I think it was over Thanksgiving weekend last year, and the media just wrote him crazy. You know, how crazy this young man was to go to these islanders who have never heard the gospel and all these things. You know what he believed? And you look at his diary, he believed the words Jesus just said, that the gospel has to go to every single nation before Christ will return. Now, Darren, are you saying that if we, if at least one person gets saved from every nation, that at that moment Jesus will return? This is all that we know. Be constant, faithfully share, trust God with the results. I mean, think about the times that have been toughest for you. Even through those times, God was faithful to use that tough time to bring about His glory in your life. That's why we send. That's why we go. That's why we pray for missionaries around the world. That's why that young man, whether he had the right, you know, you can disagree with his, his philosophy of ministry, but his heart was to reach those people for Jesus Christ at the expense of his own life. You all remember that story? It's been, I think it was around November. You can look it up. I, 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 sad to say, I do not remember his name. But sometimes we just want to give up and say the church is faltering, but we must realize that God is often doing his deepest work when times are the toughest. Last thing is this. We're called to be constant, called to be constantly sharing the gospel, but the last thing I want you to see is be consistent. There is a difference between those two things. We'll get there, but be consistent. Look at verse 13. We'll end with this. And Jesus told them all these things, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Guys, they don't hate you. They hate God because if they, if they follow what God says, they have to change their life. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. You'll be hated by all. Look, Christianity is never going to be popular with the masses. Can we get that straight? Christianity, it doesn't matter your PR plan. It doesn't matter your, your, your marketing plan. It doesn't matter. What matters is we realize this world hates people who love Jesus Christ. Do you know why they call the Dark Ages possibly the Dark Ages? Because the church had all the power of a government that it had. And you know what happened when the church got that power? Well, go read your history books. We needed a reformation to break away from that. Do you understand? Guys, we need to pray that Christian politicians step up their game. We need to pray that Christian voters get out and stand for truth and life and all those things. But our power does not come through those operatives. Our power comes from the gospel, and the gospel's power can go anywhere and is bigger than anything. But we will be hated for being Christians. Christianity and the world will never be bedfellows. They will be at odds if they're biblically as they should be. We will come from all religions, all races. We'll be hated by all, 
will, and God will love all for my name's sake. It's not about him. It's all about, it's not about us. It's all about him. He's the rock of offense. But let me tell you, no one has been hated more than the name of Jesus Christ ever. You can go, I remember this very clearly in the small town I grew up. I was asked to give the, uh, uh, prayer at the public square, the courthouse in Clinton County in 2002, senior in high school, the public prayer uh, on the National Day of Prayer, first Thursday in May. Remember this very clearly, and I prayed in Jesus' name in a small conservative town. And would you know, our hometown pastor got words that, how dare he say in Jesus' name? That offended so many people. Would you know that? It's amazing. Jesus' name is offensive. It always will be. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. What does this mean? Two things. And Amy, if you just want to put both up for sake of time, that'd be great. But what, what is Jesus saying here? So we're going to be hated, Jesus. I got that, that. But we need to be consistent. But what does this mean? Well, it's not referring to the end of the age, but your life. What he is saying is that if your life is taking, taken, you'll lose your salvation. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying that the true believer will remain faithful to the end, whether they're in the last days or whether they're not. This is what we call, guys, number one, this is what we call the perseverance of the saints. This is what we believe is eternal security. This is you in Christ held for eternity. This is why we don't believe that if you're a Christian, somehow you can lose that salvation. Now, there's a lot of people who say they're a Christian who walk around and talk like a Christian, but have never known Christ. They've known religion. And God is the offer of faith. He is supernatural. We will, listen, we will bend, you will suffer, you will deny Christ, you will be in sin sometimes so deep, you're so embarrassed, but you will never apostatize, you will never fall away from the faith, because if you're truly in Christ, He will keep you. And if you don't believe that, can I ask you the question, do you believe that God is faithful? And everyone in their right mind is going to say, yes, pastor, God is faithful. Well, if God is faithful, he's going to faithfully hold those who are his until the end, even if all the world comes against them. Or else, his death meant nothing. Maybe a moment of weakness you'll have, but we'll come to our senses, and we can't deny the one who died for us. And number two, let me say, this is not teaching salvation by works. How are you saved, Christian? You are saved by faith alone in the church alone. You are saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, for his glory alone. Amen? That's how we're saved. And that's what we need to be reminded of. Those who are saved will endure to the end. That's what we know. So how should you respond to all these things? You need to know that God will give you supernatural grace you never dreamed of when these times come. And he's doing it now even. And live larger than life in that moment. You need to be consistent. Look, there's no autopilot in the Christian life. Amen? Wouldn't that be nice? I love you, Jesus. I love you. Autopilot. Boop. Go to sleep and wake up in heaven. That would be awesome. That would be great. That's a pastor's dream. But it doesn't work that way. You have to live this life out in, with real people that breathe real air. That might smell bad at times, especially around 435 and Front Street. But you get the picture. You can't live your life on autopilot. Guys, you have to be intentional with your faith. You have to pray. You have to share. You have to grow. You have to intentionally gather together. And I love our Facebook feed. and It serves a purpose for those homebound or traveling or other maybe visitors watching us for the first time. But this is real life, what you're doing right here. Because you know what? In those last days, if you're a Christian, you're not going to say, man, 
Tower View has a Facebook live stream that starts about 11 o'clock every week. Boy, I'm going to join that thing. You're going to want to be around Christians because you know what? They're going to throw you in jail. You have a target on your back. You're offensive. They hate you. They want nothing to do with you. And this phone ain't going to do anything for you. That's why being in church physically trumps being in church digitally anytime that can be avoided. So you must fight for this. The world is not a playground. It's one of great conflict. But can I remind you again, Amy will put this up. Guys, what do we do with this? Christ is coming. Be ready. It's going to be hard, but this is not our home. Keep your heart clean. Let me, let me clarify that. We don't believe that you have to have last rites here. We don't believe that if you just said uh, a bad word to a friend that you have to have the pastor come and pray you into heaven. That's not the gospel. That is man-made religion. The gospel says that the moment you die, today you'll be with me in paradise. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Keep your heart clean means that you're ready to go whenever God says it's ready to go. And even if you're in sin at that moment, God will still take you home because it's not you, it's his son's sacrifice that sent you there. And keep your teeth brushed, please. Some of you need that reminder just because you need that reminder. Be ready. Guys, God is so good. God is so faithful. And I just want to remind you this morning that these are the things God has given us. Be cautious, be confident, be clear, be all these things, but be reminded God is with us all the way. Will you pray with me as we close this morning? Fathers, we come before you. Lord, this life of being a Christian, it's tough. Father, it really is. It's tough to be a Christian. Father, we we admit, uh, even as Americans, that we don't face the persecution that is around us physically or economically. Father, I mean, sure, let's be honest, there are times and spaces and places, Lord, where we have, uh, Lord, I guess we just have things that are set against us, but Lord, even our brothers and sisters around the world, where there are bombings, where there are uh, threats that if you don't, as Pastor uh, Nelson said last week before the scripture, if you don't register with the state or do certain things, then you can't be a church. Lord, there's so much we don't face in this country. It doesn't make us less of Christians. We're equal at the cross. But Father, especially for us in America, may we in the time we're given on this earth, use the freedoms that we have here, not just as Americans, but, Father, as heavenly citizens of your throne, bought by the blood of the Lamb, to speak forth the gospel. Father, our hardest life is now, but we're grateful that the life to come, Father, this will all just be a memory. Father, help us to be faithful, help us to be constant, consistent, to be clear, to be courageous. Father, Father, to be all these things, for you are in charge. Thank you so much. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. Do you join us in standing as we close out with our last couple songs? Uh, Pastor Nelson and I will be up here, and, and after our, our next song, we're going to have the Brown family come up before they move down to Alabama. Derek and Mindy, after our song, we'll have you guys come. We pray over you as we do.